time for the July 7, 2023 edition of Weekly Signals Weekly Review. A personal recollection of the last 168 hours of history, broadcasting on Tell the Truth Day from the University of California at Irvine on KUCI 88.9 FM. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Espar. And as always, making the world a safer place, one bite at a time, Mahler, the fake news dog. Yeah. There he is. Mm-hmm. Obnoxious as ever. Today we'll be talking about the slow-mo universe, AI pollution, solar maximum Diego Rivera, post-mortem sperm retrieval, rolling a joint, and so much more. But first, the Orca uprising continues. From the Guardian, an Orca repeatedly rammed a yacht in the North Sea off Shetland. That's between England and Norway. Following previous Orca attacks on vessels in the Strait of Gibraltar and Portugal, Wim Rutten, a 72-year-old retired Dutch physicist and experienced yacht guy, was sailing solo fishing for mackerel when the Orca suddenly appeared and hit the stern of his seven-ton boat repeatedly. What I felt was most frightening was the loud, very loud breathing of the animal. Good grief. That's Rutten speaking there. Mm -hmm. The orca stayed behind the boat looking for the keel. Then he disappeared, but came back at fast speed, hit the boat two or three times, and circled. This is the same behavior that has been seen in the Iberian orca population. That's down off the coast of Portugal there. But it is the first time it has been known to happen in northern waters. Increased marine traffic, dwindling food sources, warming seas, and noise pollution could all play a part in the orcas' attack. Or maybe they just like hitting boats. Maybe they were over-caffeinated. Could be. Yeah. I could launch into some screed about the situation with the ocean, but I won't. The ocean? The you ocean. Pollution in the, the ocean? Well, the heat. The, the fact that the yeah. oceans are as hot as they've been. You have that, too. Yeah. And that is such a bad sign. <laughs> well, if your environment heats up, you might be a little cranky. That's what I'm saying. If you're not feeling well, That's you right. might be a little cranky like the seals off the coast here in Southern California. That's right. They usually just lay around, not don't do anything. You can People go up and take pictures of them. Right. But now... People go up to take pictures of them, and they get cranky, and and have actually bitten some. Yeah, I don't know what to call them, tourists. tourists. How about just stupidists? <laughs> From North Carolina State University News, new research found that pets living near a PFAS manufacturing plant in Fayetteville, North Carolina, have high levels of the toxic chemicals in their blood, and show evidence of sickness linked to exposure. PFAS are a class of about 15,000 compounds used to make products resistant to water, stains, and heat. They are called forever chemicals because they don't naturally break down and are linked to cancer, kidney disease, liver conditions, immune disorders, birth defects, and other serious health problems. PFAS were present in all 32 dog and 31 horse blood samples in the North Carolina study, Cats in the area repeatedly fall face-first into their food and wobble when they walk. Dogs have lost the use of their back legs. 
Three huskies died of pancreatic cancer. Horses have developed respiratory issues and cattle have been born deformed. The analysis of the pet's blood revealed biomarkers that suggest adverse kidney and liver impacts. Alligators in the region exhibit signs of disease similar to lupus. PFAS pollution from the Kemmerer's plant in North Carolina has widely contaminated the soil, water, and air for hundreds of square miles, and residents say their exposure to the chemicals is behind elevated cancer levels and other serious health problems. We haven't been paying attention to what we're doing. We have been, as a society, one gigantic science experiment for the last 45, yeah, 50 and, years. Yeah, and they, who can blame us? We yeah. were very excited. We found things yeah, yeah, that we thought were yeah, going to yeah. let us continue and prosper forever, and uh, not yeah. so much. Not Yeah, nonstick pans. Ooh. <laughs> nonstick pans. Yeah. Remember that? Acrylics. Uh, Scotch guard. Yeah. yeah, it's been fun. That's PFAS right in there. Yeah, yeah. If you find yourself cheering for the orcas, may I recommend a donation to KUCI? Just go to KUCI.org. Your generous donation is how we stay on air. Commercial free, free form, free speech radio, KUCI 88.9 FM. From The Guardian, California's Tulare Lake, one of the largest freshwater bodies west of the Mississippi before it was drained by agricultural canals, reappeared this year after intense storms and flooding. Hundreds of acres of cotton, tomato, and pistachio fields, workers' homes, roads, and power infrastructure are submerged within the lake. Fish have made their home in the water, Birds can be seen flying all around the lake or settling in marsh-like areas. The water's not safe to swim in. It's farmland underwater. You got diesel, fuel, oil, manure, chemicals used to kill bugs and stuff. You got all sorts of things floating around, said a local. Mm -hmm. Also underwater are miles of power lines and electrical equipment crucial to powering the area. The area's power utility, Pacific Gas and Electric, has undertaken a massive effort to retrieve its equipment from the lake. That has included testing the lake water and bringing in airboats and helicopters. I think I'd like to ride an airboat over that lake, though. Mm-hmm. You know, that big kind of yeah. propeller fan in big, the back, yeah, and you got yeah. a flat bottom on yep. it, and yeah. you're just tearing across this area. Yeah. Only five feet of water underneath you, and it's all flat for... 20, 30 miles. You see telephone poles everywhere. Yeah. You're just like, Do wow. a little slalom to <laughs> you them. Do, wow, where are we? Yeah. But that would be silly. Mm-hmm. The revived lake is roughly the size of Lake Tahoe at about 178 square miles of water, but just five to seven feet deep. God. Officials say it will stay at its current size for at least another year and warned it may continue to grow. They're not really sure if we're yeah. going to have what kind of weather we're going to have anymore because right, right. things are all a kilter. From Euronews, <sighs> airline flights are getting bumpier. This clear air turbulence, as it's called, is caused by patches of air swirling chaotically within the world's jet streams. Airlines like to fly in jet streams, bands of fast-moving air, to boost speeds and reduce travel times. 
Over the past four decades, clear air turbulence has increased by up to 55% around the world. Models predict another 100 to 200% increase over the next 30 to 60 years as warming from climate change increases wind shears in the jet stream. Pilots can spot turbulence easy when it's inside a storm or in clouds, but turbulence in clear air is invisible to radar. Pilots typically don't know it's there until the plane hits it. Yeah. Yeah. Because more frequent jolts are likely to result in more wear and tear on planes, airlines uh, may experience higher repair costs. That's wishful thinking. Yeah. <laughs> That's the upside of what is possible here. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, I kind of laugh at what this is obviously the airline company giving the reporter the report on this. Buy more tickets. Don't worry about a thing. From Grist. (laughs) Experts say the current hype about AI ignores how AI contributes to greenhouse gas emissions. Researchers estimate that the training of chat GPT-3 the predecessor to this year's chat, GPT-4, emitted 552 tons of carbon dioxide equivalent, equal to more than three round-trip flights between San Francisco and New York. And you say, "Uh, well, that's no big deal, Nathan. Only three trips? Total emissions are likely much higher, since that number only accounts for training chat GPT-3 one time. In practice, models can be retrained thousands of times while they are being built. So that number could be several thousand times greater. The estimate also does not include energy consumed when ChatGPT is used by approximately 13 million people each day. And the newest version of ChatGPT, GPT-4, requires far more computing power because it's a much larger model. Cryptocurrency requires a tremendous amount of computing power in order to affect whatever currency they're making. I don't know exactly. It's a long story as to how it actually happens, but it's a real drain on energy, a big drain on energy. So, And that's happening all over the world. Well, computers in general. Yeah. Hard drives, yeah. Uh, clouds yeah. are uh, yeah. use up a lot, mainly, too, because they need to be cooled down. Mm. And that's what we're talking about, cooling all these electronics down so that they can give us the information without burning up. From the archaeologist, according to researchers, tectonic plates shift in Ethiopia. They're shifting down there in Ethiopia. Mm -hmm. Show that the African continent is splitting in two, paving the way for Earth's sixth ocean to emerge. The shift between tectonic plates has been ongoing since the East African Rift, a 35-mile-long crack in Ethiopia's desert, emerged in 2005. The separation of the Somalian tectonic plate and the larger Nubian tectonic plate will effectively split the world's second-largest continent in two, a phenomenon that hasn't happened since South America and Africa split into different continents hundreds of millions of years ago. While the splitting of the African continent and the subsequent ocean would be freaky, the continent will not completely split for another 5 to 10 million years. So we got some time. We got some time. But it's interesting yeah. that they're tracking this right now. Yeah. yeah. 
You got something there? No, man? no, but what, what did they call the uh, landmass that was at one time all of the continents together? There's a name for that. I'm sorry. Gondwana land? Yeah, so, something like that. Why? My point is, at one time, all the continents were basically in one huge landmass. So the breaking apart and separating and getting back together is part of the the history of the planet. So this really isn't news. Well, it's news that it's ha- that they detected it, yes. But <laughs> if you look at the big picture... If you look at the big picture... If you look at the big picture... This the has land, always been going on. The land masses. And we shouldn't be alarmed that Africa mm, is splitting in two. Not for another five million years. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California. Visit us on the web at KUCI.org. On Facebook at facebook.com slash KUCI 88.9. On our Tumblr blog at KUCIRadio.tumblr.com. And on Twitter and Instagram at KUCIFM. From Smithsonian. Astronomers watch the distant universe running in slow motion. Marking the first time the slow-mo effect predicted by Einstein more than a century ago has been observed in the early cosmos. Scientists found that events appeared to unfold five times slower when the universe was only one billion years old, or about a tenth of its present age, because of the way the expansion of the universe stretches time. The effect, known as time dilation, is driven by the expansion of the universe as laid out in Einstein's fundamental exposition of gravity in 1915. In this century, astronomers have seen stars explode in slow motion, with the flash and fade unfolding in roughly half-normal speed from where the universe was half its present age. But attempts to see time dilation in the very early cosmos by observing extreme bright, distant galaxies called quasars had failed to find the slow-mo effect until now. Mm. Amazing. Yeah, that's what I say. Wow. They're doing some uh, astonishing things in astronomy, being able, because of advances in the technology and telescopes, and now we're seeing things where we're getting a good idea of where we came from. Unfortunately, we might be approaching a time where we won't be able to appreciate it anymore. In addition to the astronomy, the physics of it, the physics of the universe, black holes and dark matter and all the things that are challenging what we believe to be fairly well-established models of the way that things operate, the way that the... uh, that the atoms behave. What, and, and we're, Do you mean like God created the universe, that model? That model. Yeah. yeah the, the, the clock, what do they call it, the watchmaker version yeah, of God? Yeah. Yeah, that one. It is frustrating to think that many people are living 2,000 years ago yeah. as far as their yeah. vision of what the universe is about. Yeah. They're still pissed at Galileo. Yeah. Here's a solar maximum story for you, Mike. Yeah, I know you like those solar maximums. I do, I do. From Scientific American, every 11 years or so, the sun's magnetic field gets tangled up like a ball of tightly wound rubber bands until it eventually snaps (laughs) and completely flips, turning the North Pole into the South Pole and vice versa. Just spins around the magnetism. In the lead-up to this reversal, the sun amps up its activity 
belching out fiery blobs of plasma, growing dark planet-sized spots and emitting streams of powerful radiation. This period of increased activity, known as solar maximum, is also a potentially perilous time for Earth, which gets bombarded by solar storms that can disrupt communications, damage power infrastructure, and send satellites plummeting toward the planet. Oh my God. Scientists have predicted that the current solar cycle would peak in 2025, but a bumper crop of sunspots, solar storms, and rare solar phenomena suggest solar maximum could arrive by the end of this year. And that's coming right up. Yeah. If a solar storm does hit, it can ionize Earth's upper atmosphere and fuel radio and satellite blackouts, temporarily wipe out long-range radio and GPS systems for up to half the planet, generate ground-based electrical currents that can damage metallic infrastructure like old power grids and rail lines. An ionized upper atmosphere also becomes denser, which can create additional drag for Earth-orbiting satellites. This extra drag can push satellites into each other or force them out of orbit. For instance, in February 2022, we reported that 40 of SpaceX's Starlink satellites burned up in the Earth's atmosphere when they plummeted to Earth during a geomagnetic storm the day after they were launched. And people putting up these satellites just want them up. Yeah. They're making money. They're making money. How they get back down to Earth, they don't really care. And from the Associated Press, a ruling by a federal judge in Louisiana, Judge Terry Doty, Mm -hmm. who was appointed by Trump, could have far-reaching consequences for the government's ability to work with Facebook and other social media giants to address false and misleading claims about COVID, vaccines, voting, and other issues that could undermine public health and erode confidence in election results. So basically this judge said that the government can't interact with social media to be sure that lies aren't being spread. Yeah, this is one of those things that makes my head want to explode because on one hand, I agree in theory with some of that that I yeah. think I think in theory there's there's some something well, you don't good want on a in liar that. like Trump out there. Right. Controlling social media. Right. To have someone like Elon Musk throwing crap into the system. Yeah. But I also respect that having a free flowing channel of information is also important that the government shouldn't be able to interfere with that. But there are all kinds of reasons why the government needs to know for national security reasons. There's things there's legitimate interest that the government has in knowing what is going on. Well, the ruling does provide exceptions for the government to inform social media companies about posts involving criminal activity, national security okay. threats, threats, and foreign uh, interference in elections. It all comes back to the Internet is a utility. It should be regulated as a utility. There has to be some measure of responsibility on the part of the people providing information, unfiltered information that is blatantly and patently wrong and verifiably wrong and putting it into the bloodstream of the American political system. Like if I said you should drink bleach to cure COVID. Yeah, You don't want that stuff out there. No. Because a lot of people are not very intelligent. And yeah, and and especially if you might drink bleach. Yeah, especially if you're someone 
who is prominent, powerful, and some for some reason respected. Yeah. And you tell people to drink bleach. Uh, by the way, the Justice Department filed a notice that it will appeal this injunction okay. and is also expected to ask the court to stay the district judge's decision. Yeah. So in other words, it doesn't go into effect until after it's been appeal. resolved. And let me amend what I just said. And that person can say that to drink bleach all day long. That's fine. But for a for a you what I consider to be a utility to put that out there without comment, without essentially fact checking it to some degree is wrong. That's where I meant. And to yeah, and for the the organization that we put together, that we've elected the yes. government yes. to talk to the social media companies and yeah. say, you know, we have all this documented evidence that says that. This is not only wrong, but can harm the population. Can you please stop posting it to make that illegal? It doesn't even what it's saying is they can't even express their opinion. The government can't express their opinion about what's going on to a social media company. That's forbidden. now. The case brought by the Republican attorneys general of Missouri and Louisiana ties into a larger Republican narrative that conservatives are being censored on social media for their views, which is crap. All this does is prevent the government from even interacting with a social media company and letting them know the the damage they may be doing. Democrats have faulted the platforms for not doing enough to police uh, misleading and false claims, hate speech and incitement to violence. So, like you said, Mike, it's legitimate to ask about the relationships between platforms and the government and how to balance the government's interest in promoting accurate information against the threat of governmental overreach or propaganda. You want to be sure they're getting accurate information. You don't want that, though, to turn into the government just broadcasting propaganda on social media. Right. But Judge Doty is over the top in his ruling, and this is what he said. If the allegations made by plaintiffs are true, the present case arguably involves the most massive attack against free speech in United States history. Well, this was about COVID and about the government trying to talk to uh, social media and say there are certain things about COVID we should be concerned about. Don't broadcast things that are hurting our efforts to keep this disease down. There's got to be some way in which we can filter out the things that are just blatantly lies. And not only that, when he says it's the most massive attack against free speech in U.S. history, well, what about the Alien and Sedition Acts or the Palmer Raids or the House Un-American Activities Committee or COINTELPRO? These are serious efforts to suppress people's ability for free speech. And what we're talking about here is the ability simply to interact with social media so that social media can make an an informed decision about what they're going to do. From the European Space Agency website, the European Space Agency's Euclid spacecraft lifted off on a SpaceX Falcon 9 rocket from Cape Canaveral Space Force Station in Florida this week. That's some odd new language there. (laughs) There is. Space Force Station. The successful (laughs) launch marks the beginning of an ambitious mission to uncover the nature of two mysterious components of our universe, dark matter and dark energy. Two of Mike's favorites. I do love dark matter. Yeah. Yeah. And to help us answer the fundamental question, this uh, Euclid spacecraft, what is the universe made of? Mm. 
Euclid will observe billions of galaxies out to 10 billion light years to create the largest, most accurate 3D map of the universe with the third dimension representing time itself. There you go. This detailed chart of the shape, position, and movement of galaxies will reveal how matter is distributed across immense distances and how the expansion of the universe has evolved over cosmic history, enabling astronomers to infer the properties of dark matter and dark energy. So they're going to have a lot of fun when this uh, thing is completed. Can't wait. Yeah. And from Art News. The financially troubled San Francisco Art Institute put its campus on sale, and the deal includes a building with a mural by artist Diego Rivera. Facing a debt of about $20 million, the school at one point considered selling Rivera's The Making of the Fresco, showing the building of a city, by itself to stay afloat. So they were just going to sell the painting, the mural. But rumors that the mural could be moved out of the school and the city sparked outrage among artists, professors, and city leaders. Worried that the artwork could leave San Francisco, faculty and city leaders arranged to keep it exactly where it sits. Unable to meet its debts, however, San Francisco Art Institute filed for Chapter 7 bankruptcy protection and last week went on the market. So they're selling the uh, university. The Institute. Built in 1926, the campus includes more than 93,000 square feet in two buildings, along with the school's iconic bell tower, courtyard, library, classrooms, and galleries. Rivera's mural, sitting inside of one of the two buildings, is estimated in, in the bankruptcy filings to be valued at $50 million, <laughs> making it the property's most valuable asset. Staying true to the ideals of celebrating the worker, the painting shows the construction of a city and the making of a fresco and depicts manual laborers, engineers, and artists and architects. From Wired magazine, it may now be easier to get pregnant using the sperm of a deceased loved one. Experts say the request for postmortem sperm retrieval, first reported in a 1980 case study, have increased over the years. The method itself is simple, usually involving a small surgical procedure, but those requesting the practice face many ethical barriers. You got four days to do it, too, by the way. Mm. You die, you got four days. Otherwise, no good sperm. In the U.S., many institutions follow a 2018 set of guidelines from the Ethics Committee of the American Society for Reproductive Medicine. If there is a clear, informed, written consent from the deceased regarding their wishes for post-mortem sperm retrieval, the practice is ethical. From InHealth, new research shows smartwatches could play a key role in detecting Parkinson's disease up to seven years before the classic symptoms surface. This early diagnosis could pave the way for preventive interventions before the disease inflicts extensive brain damage. The study evaluated motion tracking data captured by smartwatches over seven days. The researchers found that they could use artificial intelligence to accurately predict which of the wearers would later develop Parkinson's disease. People affected by Parkinson's experience motor symptoms like slow movement, rigidity, coordination difficulties, and tremors. Importantly, this disease can start years before individuals receive a clinical diagnosis during which they may exhibit subtle motor or non-motor symptoms that often go unnoticed by them. And there's a great news story in the Washington Post entitled Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez 
That's AOC in case you know. <laughs> Dan Crenshaw. Oh. Yeah, who's kind of a he's not a nut Republican. Right. He's is like a, a a old school nut Republican. Yeah, he's kind yeah. of a like a John McCain Republican. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And the mellow struggle for psychedelic drug access. Oh good. What do a Democrat socialist, a Republican war veteran, and a long-haired lobbyist from Montana have in common? They want the government to relax about certain mind-altering substances. That's what they're doing here. Yeah. The story mentions that on June 14th, is, you know, about a month ago, Dan Crenshaw announced legislation that would direct the defense secretary, he's a veteran, remember, to provide grants for further research into the use of psychedelics to treat PTSD and traumatic brain injuries for active duty service members. Yep. The bill has seven Republican co-sponsors and five Democratic ones, including Ocasio-Cortez. Last week, the coalition received news that it was poised for a bipartisan win in the Republican-controlled House. Amen. This is good news. Yes, it is. And it's good to see, you know, I'm, I'm not a fan of Dan Crenshaw by any means, but he's working with uh, Ocasio-Cortez. This is positive. And it is, and it's the, the way in which it came in is absolutely legitimate. There's been a tremendous amount of research on post-traumatic stress disorder and the impact that psychedelics controlled environment with people who know what they're doing and know how to walk these people through the experience, come out on the other side of it, getting better. And there's plenty of evidence to support that this is the case. Yes. And from Scientific American, if you want to get very high quickly, you might think that smoking cannabis with the greatest possible concentration of cannabinoids like the plant's main intoxicating ingredient, tetrahydrocannabinol, or THC, is the best way to go. But new research suggests it's not that simple. Mm. Using a smoking machine to test intensity of individual marijuana joints, researchers found that how stoned you get depends largely on how the joint is engineered. (laughs) How you roll it. During the test, the amount of THC and CBD delivered by each joint suggested particle size does matter for intensity. For both cannabis compounds, a one millimeter particle size delivered the most cannabinoid per puff, while a five millimeter size was less intense but led to longer lasting joints, of course. I, I, I don't know exactly how that evened out, though. Yeah, you know, I yeah. mean, if you smoke the entire joint, yeah. would you get as high? Well, there's only one way to find out, I think. I really believe. Smaller chunks exposed a greater surface area to the flame more quickly, providing a faster and more efficient burn, of course. And regardless of particle size, the highest concentration of cannabinoids per puff came toward the end of the joint. Meanwhile, more terpenes, chemicals in cannabis that contribute to flavor but not active drug concentration, came out of the plant at the beginning of the joint. So a joint will provide the best flavor at the beginning and deliver the strongest concentration of cannabinoids at the end. You want to get really stoned, you wait till the end of the joint. Surprisingly, while the THC-dominant joints delivered a total of 19 to 28 milligrams of THC per cigarette, the CBD-dominant versions each delivered a whopping 90 to 100 milligrams of CBD, that's 200 to 400% more of the dominant cannabinoid. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. I guess CBD transfers easier, vaporize, mm-hmm. in a kind of an aerosol form, than THC. Mm-hmm. 
Don't know. The data supports the argument that THC percentage matters less than particle size. All righty. This information could be particularly useful for medical marijuana patients and clinicians for whom dosing control and consistency is a significant issue. And finally, from Omaha News, a truck carrying cattle Mm -hmm. and a truck carrying burritos Mm -hmm. collided in Nebraska. (laughs) You can subscribe to the Weekly Signals Weekly Review podcast at weeklysignals.com. Weeklysignals.com. Subscribe now.